On the ninth episode of Building Your Wealth Muscle, we brought Ken Garner back so that we can cover areas of health insurance that are rarely discussed. You go see your doctor, and now what? We're going to help you understand the bill you get from your doctor. What is your schedule of benefits, and what does it tell you? If you're arguing your medical bill, what to do if a collection agency calls? Towards the end, we dive into the risks associated with short-term health plans and how they're different than Obamacare. As always, the last portion, we're going to give you your tip on protecting your wealth muscle. Thank you, and enjoy part two of Health Insurance for Fit Pros. Welcome to Building Your Wealth Muscle, a podcast about building and protecting wealth for online health and fitness coaches. Each episode, we're going to break down different topics in the areas of business, finance, and tax, and how they pertain to your coaching business. Disclaimer, the topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making changes to your financial or tax situation. Now, here's your host, certified financial planner, Pat Darby. Hey, everybody. So welcome back to Building Your Wealth Muscle podcast. We have Ken Garner back on the show. If you listen to episode eight, this is going to be episode nine. We have him back on the show because we wanted to dive a little bit deeper into health insurance because most people don't fully understand it. So Ken, thank you for joining us again. How have you been? Good. Busy. That's for sure. That's Yeah, this is your open enrollment. This is the, the hectic time. Uh, for those that missed episode eight, again, please, you should go back and listen to it because it's chock full of information. But for those who missed it, um, can you tell us a little about yourself? Uh, my name is Ken Garner. I've been doing health insurance, specifically small groups and individuals in the marketplace for a little over 10 years. Uh, that's pretty much all I know these days. Um, and so far, we've we've been very successful in building an agency and helping thousands of people. That's fantastic. Um, and again, if you guys weren't listening to the first episode, uh, Ken and I met because he did my health insurance when I moved to Vegas from New Jersey. So I can I can attest to his his knowledge and skills of navigating health insurance. And so today is an interesting topic of health insurance that um, when Ken and I got off the last podcast, we talked offline that one topic that's rarely mentioned is how to read the bill you get from your doctor and when you should pay it. Because as Ken's going to give a deeper explanation, the answer is not always. So um, again, this is a podcast about building wealth and protecting wealth. So paying unnecessary health bills is a great way to avoid um, spending unnecessarily uh, your hard-earned money. And again, as we talked about last time, you may not be getting a tax deduction for all your medical expenses. So if the bill doesn't seem, well, you should, I, I shouldn't say, you should first consider whether or not you should pay the bill. And I'll let Ken dive deeper into that. Um, what is the explanation of benefits and how can people read it? The explanation of benefits comes directly from the insurance company. So the, the whole process is you go into the doctor, you do whatever it is you need to do. Right, the doctor submits a claim to the insurance company. Right, the insurance company gets that claim and they process it. And once it's processed, they give you an explanation of benefits. And real simply, it has a couple main topics. It has 
this is what you did. This is when you did it. This is how much the doctor charges. This is how much we allow the doctor to charge because they always put this ridiculous number. Then they'll say how much we paid. This is how much you owe. Okay. So then you'll have at the bottom how much you owe. And typically you'll have a note under each line item of, yes, this was good or no, this wasn't good. You know, whether or not uh, it was denied, and it'll give you a reason why it was denied. So that explanation of benefits, very simple to read, but very important to actually read it. It wouldn't take more than two minutes to look at it and read it, but most people don't. So the explanation of benefits should match the bill directly. Okay. So a lot of times what happens is you get an explanation of benefits that says this was denied. And a reason could simply be the wrong code was put in. So when a doctor submits a claim, you have a what was done code and you have a reason code. And if those two don't line up the way they're supposed to, the bill, the claim gets denied. It's very simple to say, hey, doctor, this was denied. Go fix the code. They know what they're doing. They'll just go boop, 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 resubmit the claim, and all of a sudden it gets approved. And everyone thinks I did something magical to make this happen. No, I just told the doctor to fix his stuff. So it's, it's very simple and easy, but most people, they just get a bill and they pay the bill. And I definitely do not recommend that. So I've got a couple examples to share as well. Before, before we dive into your examples, I think those are going to be extremely helpful. Maybe we should take a step back and let people know we're referring to these explanation of benefits for in-network. Like, explain, make sure people, if you do something out of network, um, what would their options be there if there are any? Um, out of network still gets explanation of benefits. The difference between out of network and in-network, assuming you have out of network benefits, is that a doctor is allowed to balance bill you. Meaning, uh, when the doctor says, this is how much we charge, and this is how much the insurance allows us to charge, that difference, they can tack on to the bill. Okay, because they're not under a contract to say, no, we can only charge this much. They can charge whatever they want. So when you go out of network, that is one of the biggest downsides that people don't know about. That you cost $1,000, the insurance company says you can only charge five hundred. Well, uh, and then they pay their five hundred. They can still bill you five hundred dollars because they're not under a contract. And when you usually sign that little piece of paper in the doctor's office, it says you're reliable for whatever the insurance does not pay. It's in every one of your doctor agreements when you go in to, to do your exams or whatever. So that's the biggest difference between in-network and out-of-network. So what should people do before they step in the doctor to make sure they're walking into a doctor's office that's in-network? Usually, yes. Uh, unless you know, for instance, that I want to go to this doctor, I understand he's out-of-network. But yeah, double-check and make sure. Um, as long as the insurance company says that they are in-network, the claim will be process. Now a doctor may not want to submit the claim because he's a fuddy-duddy and you know doesn't want to work with the insurance company it happens often. But it's not to say the claim won't be paid, it's just the doctor doesn't want to submit the claim. And I think 
one of the things that Ken said really needs to be highlighted. When you're checking in-network versus out-of-network, ask your insurance company. Don't ask the doctor because I've personally had experience where they say yes, but they're wrong. Because at the front desk, yes. it's they, they got a lot of insurance companies are working with. So your specific plan might, like they might say, oh yeah, this insurer we take, but your specific plan, they may overlook that it does not take it. Um, so Yes. Um, whenever I talk to a doctor's office, I only talk to the billing because they're the only one who knows for sure because that's what they do. That's all that they do. When you talk to reception, they don't know that stuff. They're just going off of a whim what they thought they knew. Right. So always talk with billing. Right. And that's because we talked about it on the last episode. If you have small group plans, they have way better bells and whistles at times than an individual plan. So they might hear uh, United Healthcare and they're like, oh, yeah, we take that. But they may take that because it's the small groups. You're in the individual world, for instance, in that case, and you're not eligible for that doctor. So it's really important that you know who you're asking before you sit, step in there and get hit with a huge out-of-network bill. Absolutely. Um, so let's let's get back to what you were saying. You, you have two examples of how to read these explanation of benefits, the EOBs, uh, when you get them in the mail. Yes, yeah, so I'll start with a, a simple one that happened to me. Um, you know, my wife went in for an MRI in her hand because she, she'd broken her hand. And we go in, we get the MRI, we pay our $100 copay like we're supposed to, right? Six months later, we get this bill for $1,200. And I'm like, whoa, I don't think I owe that. And so I start doing some digging. You know, I, first off, I never pay a claim. Hold on, can we step back? You got the $1,200 bill and you said, I don't think I owe that. What was, what did you know about your plan that immediately set off the red flag? I knew I had a copay for an MRI. So no matter what the MRI was or what type, my copay was X amount. Okay. That's important distinction well, for, for everyone that. listening that know what your plan contract is. Yes. Um, if you want to know more details, look for the schedule of benefits. Look for those exact words, schedule of benefits. It's the every detail about your plan that you want to know. That's what I personally give out to all my clients because it is very, very informative and super simple to read in most cases. Those are basically, if I'm not so, mistaken, that's the legal contract that the insurance company is obligated to follow once they, you sign up, right? Right. Okay. Yep, it's, um, there's this 116-page document that most have, but then they have a schedule of benefits that defines the benefits. It's very useful and very simple to read, and I, I give it to everybody. And it's not one that they give out willy-nilly. I have to go find it and download it to save it and send out. But very, very useful. So I knew in my case that I only owed $100, and I already paid that. So I get this $1,200 bill. And say, I don't think I should pay this. Let me start doing some research. So I look for that explanation of benefits. Because remember, I do not pay a bill until I see an explanation of benefits from the company saying it's okay. So I get this explanation of benefits. And on the notes, it says, you know, denied. And it says reason, uh, insufficient documentation. It's like, well, a year has gone by now. It's like, doctor... I'm not going to pay this bill 
until you send the documents the insurance companies asked for. Like two years have gone by. It's like, and I get another bill, $1,100. I'm like, look, doc, I've told you once, I'll tell you again, I'm not going to pay your bill until this you send the documents. And honestly, it was just a reason. It's like, here's my MR, here's what we were looking for, and they would have covered it. It was so simple, but they didn't want to do it. Just people pay bills willy-nilly, and it was easier for them to do that. So they finally sent me to collections, and I said, collection lady, I will not pay a bill until the doctor does what he is supposed to do and send the necessary documents. Very simple. It's like, okay, we'll send it back to the doctor. Sure enough, once they realized they're not getting paid, they went and submitted the documents, and it went away. This was two years in the making. So a lot of people fear collections. Don't. Uh, most medical collections cannot affect your credit. I'm not saying all, but most. They don't affect your credit, especially when you're looking at major things. And talk to a credit professional to verify that. But, you know, in my case, I had no fear of that. I knew what I was supposed to do, and I did what I was supposed to do. So um, when a credit collection came and they're calling me willing, yeah, it's like, look, I know my rights. I did my part right, and you need to do yours. And sure enough, that's forced the doctor to finally go do what they're supposed to do. So never do I pay a benefit until it gets processed correctly. And, and to add to that, because I had similar experience um, helping clients when the collections come, the collection, again, if they're doing medical collections, they understand this process. Like a lot of people are disputing things with insurance companies and doctor's offices. So when the collection calls come, which they will, um, let them know that you are arguing the charge. And usually it's like part of their process. Okay. Like it's, they're going to put a note in your file, check back in six months, check back in nine months, whatever the case may be. Um, and that does, I can't say all the time, but again, to Ken's point, like don't fear it. That stops them in their tracks from pushing things to to your credit if that's their ultimate goal. Because again, th there's a lot of people that are doing this, and they should because they people that I mean, they, people make, make mistakes. But don't let the collection phone call stop the process of you being like, I don't owe this money, so I'm going to keep fighting it. So um, go carry on, can I? interrupted you again <laughs> so, so my second example was a hospital and when you go to the hospital you get bills willy-nilly it's like from all different departments right uh, if you go to the er you get one from the er you get one from the the blood work section of it from the x-ray section of it plus from the hospital and the doctors you get you know bills left and right and all of those are subject to the contract of the hospital, right? So we're, we're in the hospital. My wife's there. She's staying overnight. And, and this doctor comes in at 4 o'clock in the morning. We're all sleeping. You know, and he, I, he wakes me up. He's not there for more than five minutes. I don't even think we spoke to him. But he looks at his chart, flips through the pages, and walks out. Next thing I know, you know, three or four months later, I'm getting a bill for $500. I'm like, first off. Who's this doctor? So I had to find out who the heck this guy was. And sure enough, I do some digging and find out he's a doctor at, at the hospital. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't ask for you to come into my room. I don't know who you are. I did not sign anything saying I would pay you. If I'm in the hospital 
you're under the contract of the hospital. So I will pay the hospital. If you want something from me, you can go talk to the hospital and get it from them. So sure enough, I, that's what I told him. It's like, I didn't sign anything from you. Because usually you go to the doctor, you sign something for the doctor. I went to the hospital and signed something for the hospital. I didn't sign anything for this guy. So I told him, like, I'm not paying this bill for a five-minute conversation that I didn't ask to have. It's not going to happen. And sure enough, it disappeared. Never has it come back to show up on my doorstep. But most people would have said, oh, freak, I was in the hospital. Now I have to pay this $500 bill. And the answer is no, you don't. You know, the hospital has their contracts. Unless you ask some doctor to come in on the outside to come service you, you do not have to pay those bills. So I would fight them left and right. You brought up something that um, I wanted to get your opinion on because this happened to someone in New Jersey. Um, they went for whatever reason, I forget their medical situation, but they went to an in-network hospital. So again, on your coverage, yeah. some of your hospitals like are in-network and some are not. He went to an in-network hospital. Something, they found something. I, I can't remember the details. But in came a specialist that was out of network. And he didn't invite that person. And they hit him with, I think, I want to say like 40 or 50 grand because this obviously was something major. Did what would you what would you recommend to your clients in that situation? I was actually gonna label that exact example. Um you go into an in-network hospital and this out-of-network doctor who's at the hospital sends you this ridiculous bill. And I say, don't pay it. Because you didn't seek his services out of network. You went to an in-network hospital. You have to follow the contracts of the hospital. So you can bill me all you want, but I'm not paying a dime. Now, if you want to bill my insurance and get the contracted rate from them for your services, by all means, go do that. But I did not seek your advice and services. So, no, I would not pay that. Um, I would fight that tooth and nail because that it ends up being a lot of money, especially if you have a surgery or something big. So, no, I would not pay that at all. So for the listeners that say, okay, great, like I'm, I just got an EOB and you know what, you're right, this doesn't smell right, I'm going to I'm gonna fight it. What's the first step, or I guess what is the series of steps? Like, who do they call? Is it the doctor? Is it the insurance company? What's their first step? Um, first step typically is to talk to the doctor. So if the EOB states that it was done incorrectly and the order was denied, I'd say, hey, doctor, my claim was denied. Can you figure out why? Because they usually get a notice as to why. And then that will trigger them to go and resubmit it properly. 99% of the time, it's a reason code. Almost every single time I've ever looked at it. Can you explain a reason um, you code? Know, how to send it. Yeah, so when you submit a claim, there's a procedure code and a reason code. So let's say I'm having um, uh, a broken arm. I'm getting a cast put on. But I put that I'm a reason is for headaches. Those two don't match, right? And so the reason codes have to, to match. I had a lady who had an ulcer on her uterus or something, right? 
and that the doctor was a reproductive doctor that found it. So it's not that she was trying to do this to have babies or freezer eggs or anything like that. It's like, you have an ulcer. You, you need to get this thing taken care of. So because of the reason code that he put, because that's what they, they usually, the reason codes don't usually match. I said, doctor, this was denied because of this. Just fix this real quick. And sure enough, they looked up what reason code they needed to put, and it was fixed. Now I look like the hero, like I did something special when I didn't. <laughs> so it's usually just talk to the doctor is sufficient. Um, if the if it needs to go further, you can talk to a, a claims department at the insurance company. Um, it rarely goes that far, but if needs be, you know, by all means, they're they're pretty helpful most of the time. Um, they don't get a ton of calls. Um, and then that's usually as far as it needs to go. So playing devil's advocate, let's let's say that we're in a situation that they sent you a thousand dollar bill. You don't think it's acceptable for whatever reason and you get pushback have you ever what would be the next step have you done offering compromises things like that that you recommend no i don't usually compromise because there's a contract you know there's a contract that says i owe this because of this service so i'm not going to go pay something more than i'm supposed to you know i didn't get insurance just because it's going to cover my bills, there's a contract in place that prevents doctors from overbilling me. So no, I don't compromise. Um, and I'm not going to pay a bill that's not right. Because when you do that, not only does it not count towards your out-of-pocket maximums and your deductibles, you know, it's just lost money. It's not counted anywhere. It's just lost. And I'm not a fan of losing money. That's an interesting point. So go go over that one more time. So you're saying if you pay a bill, like just hypothetically, if someone's using an HSA and they're max out of pocket, what's what's a common one in, in Vegas here? Sixty five hundred for an individual grand. or seven thousand? Sure. Yeah, we'll say five we'll say five grand just okay. be easy. So just so everyone understands, when you when we talk about your max out of pocket, that means in in the scenario of an HSA you have a set, more or less no health insurance until you've paid $5,000 out of pocket. Then, yeah. God forbid, you get hit by a car and you get a $400,000 bill, you owe $0 because you've already paid your max out of pocket. You go to the right. you go to the drugstore, max out of pocket's hit. You don't you don't pay for drugs. Um, Correct. So, Ken, are you saying that if you pay something that was inaccurately put on your bill, Let's say you paid a thousand dollars to an out of network person that you shouldn't have even paid that because you didn't owe it. That does not go towards your five grand, right? Wow. So how would someone know? Like, if you're getting these explanation of benefits and you're just paying it because you think you owe it, how do you double check? If let's say if someone's already done this, you know, we're at the end of the year now. Uh, we got two months left in the year. So if someone's already hit their max out of pocket or in their opinion they have. Do they have recourse to claw that money back or or at least yes. get it yes, put towards do. their max out of pocket? Absolutely. So I had a, a lady that had this. Um, when you get those explanation of benefits, they have that reason code, right? So I had a scenario where a lady paid for uh, an MRI twice. She only had one MRI, but she paid twice. 
because she didn't know any better. Um, I guess it was, it was two MRIs in one day. And she was only supposed to pay X amount. She paid double. So I said, I printed it out for her. I say, go show this to the doctor and show you were paid this. Because it'll say what they paid the doctor. I paid you this much because you'll have a receipt, whether it's on your credit card or your bank account. And say, you owe me this money back. Here's my proof. And sure enough, she went and did that and got her money back. So yes, there are recourses um, to get your money back if done properly. So when you pay something that was flat out not covered or denied, the doctor has to submit the claims to get them approved to get paid. But if you already paid them, why would they bother? You already paid them. Unless you have an honest doctor, maybe there's some out there, but why would they put in that effort to get you paid? Now, you can, however, possibly submit a claim with your insurance company to get reimbursed. Um, it's it would still have to have a reason code, you know, the, the claim have to be filled out correctly, but it is possible. Um, I did a lot of those with the COVID testing. You know, these, you got a COVID test that's supposed to be free, but these facilities weren't submitting claims. They're just charging people. And so you can fill out a claim and submit it and get your money back. It takes like two months, but you could get your money back. Um, it, that happened quite often. I think that's really helpful. Um, again, this is this is why I advocate that you work with an independent insurance health insurance person, because this type of expertise you're not gonna. I don't think you're gonna find it by calling the eight hundred number for your preferred insurance company. Um, no, I've I personally never had that experience, and uh, I used to be a rep on Obamacare's website, so I know the questions people come with. Um, not a rep, a licensed agent. I would never be a rep for them that'd be a disaster but (laughs) um so anything other that we've missed so far that people should understand about their the bills that come in from the doctor's office and um the only one a little bit tidbit i'd say is when you go to the hospital or you're doing something and they want you to pay up front i typically say i'll pay maybe a hundred dollars Bill me the rest, okay? Um, mostly because when you start to file that claim, they don't know what else you're doing, right? They don't know what other surgeries or medications or stuff that you have going on. So if they ask for that money up front, what if another claim comes in first and it gets paid first and now you've hit your out-of-pocket maximum and you shouldn't have paid that doctor? So yes, you could go get your money back, but what a hassle. So I typically say, yeah, I'll pay you a little bit, maybe a hundred dollars, you know, whatever it is or nothing. I try to go for nothing and say, bill me. Cause then it gives it the time to match with the EOB and especially at hospitals. You can absolutely do that. I'm just say, bill me because they'll just take their money as first come first serve. And they're actually really good about giving your money back. Uh, but I always say bill me because then it gives you the opportunity to go through the proper channels correctly. Yeah, I think that's another great point that, that needs to be highlighted, especially if like, let's say you have an HSA plan 
Um, maybe some have different bells and whistles, but the HSAs that I worked with, they have no co-pays. So if you're in a doctor's office and you have a health savings account, again, I, I say HSA a lot, but I forget sometimes people may not know that acronym, but it stands for health savings account. Um, and again, if you didn't listen to episode eight, then brief background, they have, um, that we just talked about earlier, they have no co-pays, really high deductible. So if you go in the doctor's office, those people are, for the most part, so used to saying, oh, it's a $50 copay. And they try to charge everyone $50 copay. If you have a health savings account, you have to be aware you don't owe copays. So exactly Ken said, say, bill me. I owe nothing right now. Bill me. Um, because otherwise, you'll pay a copay. I don't even know, does that money count towards anything? Or <laughs> did you just accidentally give them 50 bucks? Uh, it, they usually count it towards the actual bill. Okay. But yeah, if they will go without it, just say bill me. Yeah. No, works 90% of the time. Perfect. Any other common mistakes you see people making with their health insurance bill? Um, you know, I think we went over the most of them. You know, it's like if you just have that mindset of I'm not paying a bill until the insurance company tells me that it's okay. If you have that mindset, you know, going into it, then you'll be less likely to make mistakes and overpay things. Perfect. So we'll, I mean, that's a perfect recap because again, at the end of each episode, we try to give the one step for people to protect or build wealth. This is an episode clearly on protecting wealth. Like don't pay bills that you may not owe and make sure the money counts towards your deductible. Um, anything you would add to that as a recap for people to use health insurance to protect their wealth? Um, make sure you understand what plans you have. You know, actually spend the 10 minutes it takes to read through the documentations. You know, especially if you have those short-term plans, which I never recommend. Uh, make sure you know what those gaps are because you don't want to be surprised. Let's spend a couple of minutes because I don't think on episode eight we spent too much time. What is a short-term plan and what should people look out for if someone's pitching it to them? Um. The one simple question would be is, is this ACA compliant? Typically, if you ask that one question and they lie to you, I would you know, keep that on record. But if it's ACA compliant, they have to cover XYZ amount of stuff. And um, it really put a standard on what's good and what's bad. And for, for those listening, ACA compliant, can if I'm wrong, let me know. That's the legal term for Obamacare, correct? Pretty much. So all the legal jargon that came with Obamacare, which again, like Ken and I talked about, there's some pros and cons to it. But one of the advantages is that it has it has to cover everything. Like there's a lot of requirements. And so again, that ACA requirement is not available in the short-term plan. So I'll let Ken dive into some of the, like how to look out for it, I guess. And also what are the biggest risks? Again, we talked about it briefly in episode eight, but it really needs to be highlighted because the risks risks are unlimited. Yes, unlimited. Um, very briefly, if it's not ACA compliant, they have holes in them. You know, and they may sound good when the sales agent is is talking about them, like, "Oh, the deductible is a thousand dollars," but they typically come with pre-existing condition clauses. You know, that could serve for a, a year or more. 
Um, I've seen plans that their deductible renews every three months. Wow. So you have a $5,000 deductible. You hit it. Oh, now it's March. You have to hit it again. I have seen that. Um, you know, there are certain things that may not be covered. Or I had one guy who had a plan and realized, oh, this is only actually an accident plan or a hospital indemnity plan. They'll save you $1,000 towards your hospital, uh, and they'll sell it like that. It's $1,000 towards your hospital. It's like, okay, I pay $1,000. No, it's they'll pay you $1,000 towards that hospital. You pay the bill. So this guy gets this $100,000 bill and realizes his insurance is only going to cover $1,000. It's like, that is not what he thought when he bought that. So if you just say, is this ACA compliant? you'll at least know that I'm okay. Whatever my stuff is, my worst case scenario is like $8,700. Because that's this law ACA compliant plans have a max out of pocket of $8,700. Yeah. So on that, uh, your explanation of, I'm sorry, no, the schedule summary, is that what you called it? Schedule, schedule of benefits. benefits. You'll see like the MOOB max or sorry mop max out of pocket look for that number because that's the important number when you're looking at the overall risk that ken's talking about like god forbid you're hit by a car or major uh, illness scare that's the worst case for you on a annualized basis plus the 12 monthly premiums that's the worst you're gonna spend in the year for a medical event um Correct. Now let's spend a little another minute on the short term. How are they pitched? Like, what are the what should people hear? Because I know one of the benefits. Again, I don't personally. I've never sold one. I don't like them, so I can't say I'm an expert on it. But one of the features I think that people will come swirling around with is, oh, you don't need this open enrollment period because our short term plans you can get in any time. Correct, and that's one of their biggest sales. Is oh, it's not open enrollment. You can't get on to an ACA compliant plan. And most of the time they just don't know how to do it or they don't care because take in mind these agents make bank off these short-term plans. Um, the other aspect is um, uh, medical underwriting. You know, If you're dying of cancer, they don't have to take you, which is fine, but they'll put pre-existing condition clauses on your insurance. So they might take you but you may not be aware that your biggest health concern is not covered. Exactly. Right. So look out for those because the premiums are also going to be very favorable. Um, on the surface, they're going to look great. Um, but again, if it's not ACA compliant, you have to know what, what risk you're taking. If, if you're really just trying to save money. Um, and we didn't talk about this last time because most of the listeners are pretty successful business owners, but even in Obamacare, they have, I forget the term, you probably know when you are under a certain, um, I think if you're under 30, you can have a lower cost plan. It's not the tax credits. It's like a below a bronze. I forget the name of it. A catastrophic, catastrophic plan. plan. Yeah. Um, so yeah. can you explain that for everyone who would potentially be eligible if they're, if they're being cost conscious and they, you're saying, don't go into short-term plans, look at this. Um, catastrophic plans, uh, I would recommend an HSA over a catastrophic Same. plan. 
but all of them that I've seen typically give you three office visits at zero cost, and then everything goes towards your deductible and out-of-pocket maximum. Um, usually, it's it's the difference is like twenty bucks. Like I would much rather save money on my taxes versus twenty bucks on a premium. Yeah. Um, I've only ever done it for children um, because you know you're a kid's pretty healthy. Um, they're not going to go very often. And then the parents will get an HSA plan because they can still contribute toward it for the taxes and save the premium on the children. So like a family of four, it works out beautifully. Perfect. Okay, I think, I don't know if we've missed anything. Um, I don't think so. But, uh, and so the, the last thing that, again, we talked about this, I think briefly on the last episode, but Obamacare, if you're not, if you're not going to get any of the tax credits, I, I want to go back over this. If you're not going to get any of the tax credits, you should not be using the healthcare.gov website and going through the Obamacare portals because it's creating an extra layer of complication in your life. Um, and I'll let, again, I'll let Ken dive deeper into that because we talked about it last time, but I think it needs to be really emphasized why you call a guy like Ken and say, help me out with this. And don't go the healthcare.gov route. Um, I don't remember the the details offline, but if you do, you know what the threshold is? At least in Nevada, before someone's not in, they're not going to get any tax credits as an individual. Um, it used to be a flat dollar amount, depending on your family size, but that's actually really changed with the new law that was passed in March. So it it really depends on how old you are versus how much you make. So even if you you know, you're 50 years old making 100 grand, you could still get tax credits. So it, it really did open it up to a lot of people. Um, if you want to go to kff.org space subsidy calculator, you can find that out for yourself. It's super easy to, to look. But going through the marketplace does not have all of the plans available. They only have plans that are offered through the marketplace. So if you're not going to get a tax credit anyway, you're missing out on a lot of good opportunities, especially PPO opportunities. Most marketplace plans are HMO plans. Do you want to, we should probably spend a minute on the difference between HMO and PPO, EPO. EPO. Um, the only, let's do EPO and PPO. The only difference between those two is that an EPO does not have an out-of-network benefit, okay, whereas PPO does. Now, I say never go out-of-network anyway because the out-of-network benefits are doubled in out-of-pocket maximums, and your in-network does not go into the out-of-network. Right. So, so I avoid out-of-network. So what Ken is saying is the way the health insurance companies – work and again you can give more detail is you're basically filling up two buckets at the same time your in-network bucket and then they give you a different one with higher thresholds for your out of network so it's if you think you've hit your out of pocket maximum in network and then you're like oh good now this amazing surgeon is out of network i'm going to use him because i won't owe anything most likely you're wrong yes you're wrong so that's the difference between PPO and EPO. PPO has out-of-network, EPO does not. The difference between HMO and PPO, or let's say HMO and EPO, 
is that HMO typically has a smaller network of doctors to choose from and you need a referral to see a specialist. Okay, so eight years ago, there were night and day. You know, HMOs didn't have deductibles and PPOs did. Now that's all changed. The only difference between them is the network and needing to see a referral to see needing to have a referral to see a specialist. It's the only real difference. So, and the HMOs, I'm assuming based on that description, they're gonna be typically lower cost. So it'll be attractive. A little bit, not very much, um, but they don't typically offer PPO plans on the marketplace. You know, it's not to say that they're not there. You know, here we have one in Nevada uh, for the first time. Um, so it is possible, but you're a lot less likely. Perfect. Well, uh, this has been great. And again, like last time, how can uh, our listeners here in Nevada come find you? Um, just Google Ken Garner. You might get a dressing company. But uh, my name is Kenneth Garner. You can find me online. My number is 702-373-2208. That's my cell phone. So if you want to give me a call, ask me questions. Um, here in Nevada, I can tell you anything and everything. Outside, I can give you the law, the federal laws and guidance there. I can't help pick plans because I don't know networks. Yeah, we talked about it last Hopefully. time. It's important to remember that you should find someone in your state or someone that is an expert in your state. Like obviously some places, like when I was in New Jersey, people that did New Jersey understood PA and New York um, because they were all like the whole, the whole tri-state area. But again, if you're going to, wherever you live, make sure you're working with someone that they focus on your state, maybe a neighboring state, because if you get too far away, um, again, Ken said on last episode, Nevada has 150 plans, I think you said. So it's unrealistic yep. that you Plus. sit down with someone. So yeah, I cover 50 states. There's a good chance they're not an expert in any of them. Yeah, they're just using a calculator like you'd find on the internet. Right. Um, and we're going to link to the, the show notes for uh, the website that Ken mentioned before, which said kff.com, I think. Dot dot org. Org. Okay, we'll, we'll have links to that, links to Ken's website and email address. Um, and I think that's everything on, on our end with health insurance. So hopefully this has been helpful for you guys. And Ken, thank you so much for joining the Building Your Wealth Muscle podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us this week on Building Your Wealth Muscle. Make sure you visit our website, darbyba.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're at it, if you found value, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us as well. For more information on the topics covered, you can follow Pat on Instagram at PatDarbyBiz. The download from this episode is available in the show notes. And if you want help building your wealth specifically, Pat Darby is currently taking private clients. The link to book a call is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.